Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Aspire and Inquire. As always, have another incredible guest today, this time really expanding our horizons here and going into the world of opera. So this guest, she runs marathons. I mean, that's amazing in itself, but it's not even her career. Even more impressive, she's an internationally acclaimed operatic soprano opera singer, Lisette Oropesa. Thank you uh, for coming on the show. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're very excited to really hear a lot about uh, the world of arts and opera. This is not one of my strong suits and mm-hmm. not much something that I know much about, but I can most definitely appreciate the uh, everything that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to hear you say that. I feel like um, music in itself is an art form, but it's also a business. Uh, so I feel like we'll be able to probably find a lot of common ground. I think you might be surprised. Maybe I will. That's good yeah. to hear. <laughs> um, so I, I gave a brief intro- introduction, and we could probably spend hours about your background because it's so interesting. But uh, did I miss anything? Is there anything else you'd like to uh, say regarding introducing yourself? Oh, well, thank you for saying that I run marathons. That's very uh, much appreciated because it's one of the things that most people don't really expect from an opera singer. Uh, a person who who enjoys long distance running and uh, but marathon running and singing has a lot in common. But um, I, you know, I've been singing. I started my career very, very young at age 21. I'm 36 now. And uh, 21 sounds like a very young age. Even 36 is a very young age in opera years. So uh, I, I appreciate you saying that about, you know, my side gig. <laughs> Thank you very much. Of course. Of course. Well, really excited to uh, delve into this. And I think a really interesting place to start, as you mentioned, starting earlier in your career and and earlier in your life, you started your career by winning the uh, National Council Grand Finals at the Metropolitan Opera Mm -hmm. uh, back in 2005. And you subsequently joined the Met's Lindemann Young Artist Development Program, which is unbelievably impressive. So how did this start your career and what did this give you, uh, what were the advantages of the program? Well, um, doing the, the national council auditions is a huge career boost because you, once you advance to a semifinal round, you stay in New York for a week coaching at the Met in preparation for the final round. And that week is an audition every day that you come in, you work, you prepare music, they see how quick you are, they see how responsive you are, they see how well you work under pressure, they say how they see how musical you are, what kind of variety you bring. And that week changed my life because I also got to go visit, uh, I got to see performances at the Met for the first time ever. It was my first time I'd ever been in New York City. I came from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is a relatively uh, small city, still a city, but compared to New York, I mean, it's, it's a lot smaller and it was a big culture shock for me, but one that I was really excited to have because, you know, when you really want something, when you really have a burning desire to achieve something, um, that is the place to be that the hot spot of it, which for opera is at least in America, absolutely is New York. So I felt really privileged to be there. And, um, you know, and I, I must've made a, a good impression because when they invited me to audition for the young artist program, you know, not everybody gets that invitation 
to, to even audition. It's because it's very few spots in the program. It was only a dozen at the time. So it's not, uh, it's not so simple as just putting in an application and, and hoping for the best. I mean, they already kind of knew, uh, knew me. And so when I won the competition and got the invitation to, to, to sing for the, for the young artist, uh, people, um, then it was another, a whole other, bag of bones because that is where they invite you when you do the young artist program you live in new york and work at the met every day for three years and <laughs> it becomes this tremendous um learning experience it's it's just like a, a i hate to say a crash course it's really more like a grad course like an extended grad school course right at the opera house so it's more than any conservatory it's more than any music school would ever give you uh, right at the biggest opera house in the world um and so, you know, it's fair to say because I was very young, I kind of went into it, you know, wide eyed and, and very excited and wanting to make a great impression. But I learned a lot in those three years as one of the youngest people walking around that house because the Mets, you know, is a is a place where opera singers come and sing sometimes after they've been singing already for decades and haven't made it to the Met yet. So to be there as a young, as an apprentice, essentially to watch these great masters working every day, rehearsing every day, we had to watch every single show, every single dress rehearsal. You learn so much so quickly and it, it can be overwhelming really. So I think the young artist program, even though it's three years that fly by quickly, they're very much a trial by fire. So it, either it can eat you up and spit you out or you learn from it and you learn to, to adjust what you need to adjust in order to succeed uh, and then hopefully come out unscathed on the other side. Wow, that yeah. is amazing. Mm -hmm. And you said it was a trial by fire. So amazing. were there people that would drop out during the program on the way to the end of it? Yeah, there were people who um, weren't invited back for another year, for example, I hadn't experienced any dropouts, but I know there were legends of dropouts uh, or people that just couldn't, um, didn't do very well. There was um, a singer who had gotten ill, had, had injured himself, actually had injured himself and had taken some medications that ruined his voice for like a year. And he wasn't in the program for a year. Uh, and that was very difficult. So, I mean, because, you know, your voice, your voice is your instrument. It is your, what you are honing the craft that you're honing and if for whatever reason you injure yourself or you lose your voice or you become sick <clears throat> for an extended period of time like that it's a huge um dent in that time of your of your development to take a year off so um yeah there were definitely people that you know struggled and, and had their I mean I had my struggles as well certainly everybody everybody kind of did but I was fortunate that I had a very strong I've always had a very strong personality type I've always had a very uh kind of self-motivated personality type and I've had a lot I had a lot of strong talks with myself about things I needed to work on and change and get better at um so that I could succeed because I didn't I didn't want to go all the way there live there for three years and come out on the other side more confused I wanted to be sure that that was what I wanted and I was sure that was what I wanted that's awesome. That's really great. And you obviously have done quite well since then, uh, really performing everywhere. And we'll, we'll talk about all the different locations and, and how that affects you. But uh, prior to that, I'd really like to, to know why is being an opera singer the best career choice you could have made for, for your entire life? I know that you used to play mm -hmm. the flute yeah. and were very interested in that, but mm -hmm. you ended up... Uh, and of course you said you're quite young, but still like you, you've had years of experience and this is what you chose for, 
for up until now. So, so why is, why is it better than any other career choice that you may have had? Well, I think, um, to make it as a flutist, I would have had to be much better than I actually was. And I, I kind of, I had a hard kind of reality check when I auditioned for university here in Baton Rouge. I auditioned for the voice department and the flute department. And the flute department was not as enthusiastic about me as the voice department was. So I had a kind of a simple, hey, you do this much better. You should really focus on this. And I think one of the things about music, when you choose music or any really any artistic endeavor as your career, as your vocation choice, you really need to be not only motivated and wanting it, but you really have to be gifted because it's very difficult to make it on, on, um, like ambition alone. Ambition is great. Ambition will push you over, you know, a lot of other people because there are a lot of people who are just don't won't work as hard as you. So ambition will give you the drive and the motivation to become better, but the gift has to be there. Because I've, I have learned in this business over many, many years, they're always, the gifted people who work a little hard are always going to do better than the not so gifted people who work really hard. And it's kind of heartbreaking sometimes, I think, because I think a lot of it has to do with because it's an art form, the public is, um, is, the, is the judge. And the public is not, it's not a sport. You know, they're not judging based on who's faster or who jumps, jumps higher or who wins. They're judging based on who moves them. They're judging based on whose voice they like the best, who's the most, who ha- gives them the most beautiful message or who touches them in an emotional deep way. And that specific thing cannot be taught. And so the reason that I'm saying that is that so when I auditioned for flute and boys, even though I wanted to play flute so much, I wasn't as good as there were people who were just better flute players than me, who just had better technique, maybe devoted more years to the actual technical study, maybe were just simply better, had better instruments, had better, um, had taken better lessons, had, had devoted more time to it, whereas I, I wasn't at the level. So because my voice, I've always sung. My mom's a singer and a teacher, a music teacher, and I always sang in church and I always sang at school and I always sang at home. My voice developed without me even trying and I just simply had a better voice. And so when the music staff told me, look, you know, you really should sing. You have something very special here. And I said, but I've devoted all these years to flute. And they said, well, yeah, but (laughs) I mean, it'll help you. It'll help you be a singer if you're a good instrumentalist. That's definitely true. But honestly, I just I had something special. So I did find that once I let go of the flute and completely devoted myself to the one thing I was going to do. That's the other thing I do think is important when you choose an artistic endeavor as a job. You have to be all in. You cannot let it be the kind of thing you do on the side. It's not, it has to be 100% everything. The reason you get up in the morning, music has to be everything to you. And it's nice to have other things that can you can do on the side to take you away from the difficulty of the pressures of a theatrical uh, business or a theatrical job because there's a lot of pressure. But at the end of the day, you have to love this. You have to be so in, in so invested. Um, so yeah, so those are the real kind of key things that I learned at that age. That's amazing. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's gotta be so much pressure, uh, especially in your situation where you had to choose something you were, you were very good at both flute and singing and 
yes, you listen to the people around you. You, of course, take in all the advice from people who are, you know, supervising you and hopefully providing good advice. And then you have to make that decision, I guess, maybe in the arts more than so many other careers. You can always make these changes in trajectories. There's so many different things, like within business, you could be good at one thing and just quickly change to another and just, you know, spend a couple of years figuring that out. But the arts are way different where you'd have to, as you said, go all in and really choose that one path where you want to soar to That's the top. Right. That's right. I think, you know, because you don't get into this business to make money. It's one thing if you're a creative person who gets into a business because you want to make money and you're creative at finding ways to make money. I think that's amazing. But our business, our our arts in general is not has never been about that, even though it is a business and there are people running it who do need to still make money. I mean, they still have to keep the lights on. They still have to keep the show going and they have to find new ways to in, to attract audiences and all. That is absolutely a huge part of the business. However, the talent, you know, the content is the singers, is the musicians, is the orchestra, is the directors, is the actors. That is the content. So it's like, even though you might not be driving exactly how the content gets shared, the content has to be quality. And so in order to be a good quality player in the whole team that makes up an artistic endeavor, any artistic endeavor, you have to be the top of your game if you want to reach the top, at least. I mean, you can do really well not being at the top of your game. You can have a perfectly happy life. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like to really kind of scathe the heights, if you will, or if you, to really... Um, if you really, if that's what you really, really want to really be the top level, you know, I always say there's this meme that goes around about practicing that says, you know, if you want to be, if you want to get better gigs, practice. If you want to play with better musicians, practice. If you want to play better music, practice. You know, it just all comes, if you want to get better and have a better um, job, have a more of a career and have more choice in what you get to sing and who you get to sing with and who you get to work with, that comes with you having to be a certain level. And the expectation of that level from you has should be high and the only way for it to be high is for you to bring the high level every time and that takes work on your part so that's why you really have to be all in you can't just kind of be lazy and just rely on your gift but you also can't just be gifted and not work it has to be both right right and the best of the best have both the work ethic the motivation but also as you said the gifted talent so it's got to be both of those uh, if you want to start yeah the that's the ideal formula anyway i mean there are exceptions. There are always exceptions, you know, but I feel like the ideal formula, the ones, the people that I've seen in this job with the really, the top careers and the best, um, the most respect really are those, are those. Yeah. Right. 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 For sure. And so, so you've been able to perform all over the world from Milan to Paris, London, Munich, of course, the Met in New York, uh, all over the States, Philadelphia, we could go on. But so uh, just as a fun question, how many countries have you visited and performed in? And what is it like having a career in which you're in a different geographical location so often? Yeah, um, well, uh, to answer your question about how many countries, I've never actually sat and counted, but it, it's at least a dozen. Um, and it, it keeps going up. Actually, every year I've visited new countries like last year i visited finland for the first time i visited brazil for the first time and sang there uh in both places and at greece so every every year it's like you get a new little batch because it's, it's not a, a career where it's the same thing on repeat every year it's always changing it's unpredictable um 
and I still haven't visited Asia. I would love to visit Asia. Um, and I haven't sung in Canada, actually. Well, no, I've sung in Montreal. I take that back. I've never been to Africa. I've never been to Australia, New Zealand. But, you know, there are definitely artists that literally visit every single continent and have sung everywhere. Um, and I, I hope to get to that level. But, you know, the traveling thing, you you know, you have to like it. If you hate traveling, it's a, it's not going to be a fun job for you. But, um the funnest thing is, is just learning, learning to live with less, learning to make do with a new apartment or a hotel everywhere you go and learning to not like complete, like find a, um, like find ease and comfort in any situation. In other words, complaining less, expecting less, learning to kind of get by with less, you know, um, less demanding about what your needs are, less finicky about silly little things. Uh, you learn to just kind of be like, oh, look, it has a bed. It has a shower. It has a toilet. I win. That is an awesome apartment. You know, I mean, you can't be like, oh, but it doesn't have fur, you know, carpets and it doesn't have a fridge or a freezer or a microwave. Oh my God, I'm not going to be able to live here. Like I've, I've been in apartments and places where, you know, no air conditioning, you know, um, water, very limited hot water supply. I mean, Americans are used to everything being big and, and kind of limitless. And then you go to other countries where the sun never goes down in Finland, the summer, the sun never went down. I was like, what is this? It's 10 o'clock at night and it's full sun outside. And I had to learn to figure out how to sleep with sun shining through the window. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things about, I think also I learned by being a runner, I learned to just be more tolerant and just learn to just not get overworked about silly things and just only, you know, really look for the, the best, make the best out of every situation. So that's what travel teaches you. That's so cool. And just being able to live and, because I assume you have to live in these spots for, for some of the, some of the cases, uh, an expe- extended period yes. of time. The positive side of that is that you get to feel and live like a local. So I always, before I go to a place, I try to check out the local running routes, where the parks are, where the groceries are, and try to find, and where the theater is, and then try to find an apartment um, that is relatively close to a good running route and has good groceries nearby if possible. And that either I can walk to the theater or I can take a Metro to the theater, or I can take some other form of public transportation um, to the theater. Or if I have to rent a car, then I figure out when to go. I mean, all those things you kind of have to figure out in advance so that you don't get a surprise when you get there. And I don't, I don't like surprises. I like to know exactly what I'm getting into as much as possible. So um, I've learned to kind of find out a bit about the local kind of setup. Picking the location of course, I'm sure that's a huge part of uh, the decision. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are some cities that, you know, you have a better experience in than others, just simply based on where you chose to live in that city. So like, I'll give you an example, Paris. Paris is huge. Paris is a monstrosity of a city. New York is too. You can't just pick a random spot on the map and know that you're going to be happy there. You have to know what you're going to, what your daily work routine is going to be. And you have to know what your daily life routine is going to be based on where you are. So like if, so I found when I've worked, when I worked at the Bastille, which is in the 12th arrondissement of Paris, the 12th arrondissement, I've stayed right there, very close to the Bastille. That arrondissement, which means like neighborhood is amazing. It has wonderful things all within walking distance. It's got a running route. It's right by the river. It's got a train station. It is a fabulous arrondissement. Now, if I had chosen to stay in a different arrondissement that wasn't nearby, I might have had a harder time getting to work every day because 
there was a huge strike when I was there actually this past year. So like all the metros weren't running. So I was like thanking all my lucky stars that I decided to stay within walking distance rather than in a place where I would have to take a train every day and rely on a train. So that was a learning experience. I, I kind of, I lucked out, but if I hadn't, I would have had a much more crappy experience staying somewhere where I would have had to, you know, walk an hour to work every day if I didn't want to, or, you know, take a, tr- take a car where everybody was trying to take a car at the same time. So, um, or not be able to run where I like to run in Paris. So I kind of, uh, now that I've been there a few times, I know I'm like, okay, well, that's where I like to stay. Um, but other cities are, when you, if you've never been to a city or a place, like when we went to Finland for the first time, I had no idea what to expect. We were out in very, what was it, five hours drive north of Helsinki. So we're talking Finland proper, like at clo- like you could see Russia, like you could <laughs> literally, you could, it's very close to St. Petersburg. So it's very, very far north. Wow. And I'd never been to a Nordic or a, um, a Scandinavian country. And I had no idea what to expect. What kind of food do they eat? Does everyone speak English? Do um, do they have vegan options? Are there grocery stores that serve that have things that I would eat? You know, is there going to be a place for me to cook? Um, and all that was some yes, some no. I was staying in a hotel. I had no idea what the hotel was going to be like. It was just like here's the hotel because it was a, fest- a traveling festival situation. So um, I had to just ask around for the people who had done the festival before. Hey, what's this place like? Oh, well, you know, it's like this and like that. It's not a whole lot to do. It's kind of small, but everybody speaks English. Everybody's really nice. Yes, they have vegan stuff because there's a lot of vegans in uh, in Northern Europe. Uh, And so I kind of had a few little things that I knew and other things I had no idea. And I just prayed for the best, you know. And so again, you have to be able to adjust and make the best out of every situation and just try not to um, get disheartened if things aren't exactly the way you like them because they're not going to be, you know, and you still have to do your job as best you can. That's got to be difficult, present its own challenges, but, um, and yeah, you can work on skills like becoming more flexible. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So in, in the career, uh, meaning performing arts, you're pretty much solely judged by stakeholders on how you perform, not not by how you perf- uh, prepare, not who you are as a person, uh, maybe even not as a teammate to a certain extent. How do you deal with that kind of pressure and then nonetheless succeed? Well, you're absolutely right, Ben, that what happens backstage and what happens before the performance, the audience does not know and the audience does not care. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a way of they didn't come there to figure, find out everything that happened behind the scenes. They came there to see the finished product. So my right. job is to deliver the finished product. Now, my colleagues and my relationships with everyone at the opera house are of great importance to me. And I'm certainly not going to show up and be a, be a jerk and be difficult to work with and then expect to be invited back because I still want to have a good relationship with the theater. So it's, it's important to me as, as Lissette Oropesa being the professional uh, to, to be flexible and be a good person to work with and be a good colleague and be supportive and be, and bring what I bring to the table and not um, have to be a, a dead weight for others. But also, I also have to know that when the curtain goes up, the audience 
is my master. It's kind of like they, they are the ones that are, as you said, judging us and they are the ones that paid to be there. I mean, we sing for them. We don't sing for empty houses. Although nowadays some people are singing for empty houses, but we're not supposed to be singing for empty houses. And, you know, it's not my responsibility to try to please everybody in the audience because that's not possible. And it's not my responsibility to, um, to kind of sacrifice anything more than, than what is necessary for the performance just so that the audience can have a great night. So like, for example, I wouldn't do something totally unexpected, unpredictable that would confuse a colleague or throw someone else off just so that I can have a special extra moment with the audience because it's not just me and the audience. It's me and everyone else plus the audience. So um, you have to be, you have to kind of let go of your ego a little bit, but you also have to be aware of the weight that is on your shoulders when you are the principal role, or even if you're not a principal role, you know, every person on stage has to have their backstory. So um, yeah, it's a balance between your ego management and your, um, your trust in your artistry to stand out and to, to be able to bring something special to the audience. So it's like a little bit of a little balancing act there, a little teeter totter between those two things. Cause you do need some ego to be a good performer, I think. Um, you know, you can't have stage fright. You can't be afraid to be up there. You have to be comfortable up there. You have to be confident in your choices and in your talent and in your voice. You can't be shaking and nervous and try to sing because it'll sound like you're shaking and nervous. I mean, you need to sound at ease so that the audience can feel at ease. But you also can't be, you know, a big narcissistic prick up there because if you do that, you throw off other people in the in the uh, in the production with you, and the audience can read that too. And unless you're playing a narcissistic prick, don't be a narcissistic prick. It's not necessary, and the audience totally can feel it. It's it's unbelievable how much they read into everything that you're doing. You know, um, everything you do is magnified a hundredfold on stage, uh, just like on film. All, all those things. You know, so you have to be very careful what you put up there, what you bring up there. And it should only be the things that belong up there and nothing else. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's super interesting. So everyone uh, listening, don't be a narcissistic <laughs> prick. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's hard because artists are so um, ego driven in a lot of ways. And, and other times they're very, maybe not just ego driven, but emotion driven probably more than certainly more than, than, um, people who, uh, maybe work at a desk all day. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just, it's a different type. It requires, it's a profession that requires a different type of, 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 um, art of output, energetic output, you know, whereas where someone might sit in, you know, a programmer might sit in front of the computer and not say two words the entire day, an artist and an opera singer is being paid to sing, open your mouth. Let's hear it, you know, louder, <laughs> you know, we want more. And so it's kind of because of that requirement, it just requires a different type of, of person. Um, even though you'd be surprised how many singers are introverted when they come off stage. It's really kind of amazing. There are several that are really introverted. And it's, I like that, actually. I think those are special, very special artists. Yeah, that, that in itself is a form of art. That's, that's incredible. I never would have expected that uh, some type of person to be able to perform at that level and then hold that type of career while being an introvert. That's really interesting. I'm actually an introvert. Technically, according to my um, Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFP, introverted, intuitive uh -huh. feeling. No, INFJ, excuse me, introverted, intuitive 
intuitive, feeling judgmental, feeling judgment. And the reason I think I'm an introvert is because when I'm on stage, I give a lot. And then when I'm off stage, I can't, I like, I'm just like, it like you, introverts can only give so much for an extended period of time before they have to recharge. Whereas extroverts recharge while giving. That's so from what I understand. So that's how I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Cause I always thought, oh, but I sing on stage. I must not be an introvert. No, actually it depends on where I get, where you get your energy from or something. Yeah. Right. Right. That definitely makes sense actually. Right. And if you're putting your full self out there, every single performance, then I mean, when you're not in front of all these people watching, you can only imagine you need that recharging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. M- many people do, but there are other artists who need to be on stage to feel like themselves. And I definitely, definitely, most artists are quite extroverted. In fact, they're on stage and that's the only place that they're happy is because they're, they are finally extroverting. They're finally giving uh, energy and, and that's where they, that's their home, you know, and, and they come alive when they're on stage more than anything else. And you can see, you know, you can sense the people, you know, it's like people who just need to be around other people to feel good. It's like, they don't like to be alone. They don't like to be on their own. They don't like to be quiet, you know, like this actually this whole period that we're in of, of confinement must be really testing and trying for people who really don't like being <laughs> alone or or indoors or uh, you know isolated it's 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 really hard for some people really hard for some people and and even for people who are introverted by nature i think that this is a test as well because this is like go, goes on and on and on and on, you know. So for art, artsy for artsy types like myself, it's a test. I'll be honest, it's a test. But you know, but I'm trying to stay strong. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely a difficult time uh, for sure, and uh, hopefully we're we'll be able to get through this somewhat soon. Because yeah, I mean, a lot of people that are struggling yeah. for sure. Yeah. In doing my due diligence, I found an interview that you did with the opera queen and you i was really interested in reading it because you talked about some of the the biases in in the arts and and actual performing so during like auditions uh just within the industry just like so many other industries everyone's biased in some way shape or form uh whether racially demographically etc so in this interview, you talked about blind auditioning and and how there's kind of a lack of it. For, Am I correct? For opera, yes. It's not at all. Right. So what you said is, in that article, uh, you were quoted as to saying, opera has something that art, other art forms don't have, the musical aspect and the dramatic aspect. It's that combination, and it's why singers have to look a certain way. Either you live in it or you don't. Yes, you have to play the game. You have to. You have to play. Either you play by those rules, or you don't play the game. That is the rule. Those are the rules of the game. If they are preset, and if you want to play, you have to accept that. Otherwise, don't play. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. It's just one of the. It's a harsh reality. Yeah, it's it's horrible. Um, and I guess you you have to look that specific way that the. People that are paying the money to see you perform want to see and hear, which is horrible because it's like there's an inherent bias in the actual performing aspect. That's terrible. Yeah. I mean, the reason that I that I said that is because I feel like even though there are, of course, exceptions to every rule in general, 
even statistically, uh, things are rigged a certain way. For example, women outnumber male, uh, or, or women outnumber men um, applicants to young artist programs three to one. And I actually checked up on the statistics of this. My husband and I did this fun little project where we were trying to understand why there was so much gender bias in opera. And it's because, A, there are more women than men singing, generally, even applying to young artist programs. And B, there are more male roles to cast than female. If you look at the 25 most performed operas, and that's what we went through, and we wrote down every single solo part that requires a, a, a solo singer, a soloist, and we counted them up, there were twice as many male parts as female parts overall. So that means that you have fewer men singing and way more parts to fill. And then you have tons of women singing with fewer parts to fill. So what does that mean? It means that women have to compete much harder if they want to get a, an invitation, a job, uh, a career. And it also means that women aren't going to make as much money because there simply are too many. It's just, a, it's a, it's a, it's an economic statistic fact that is never going to change unless there are more men singing that can balance that out. Or unless there are more operas done where there are fewer male roles and more female roles. So the 25 most performed operas would have to change. And the reason those are the 25 most performed operas is because those are the ones that tend to sell the most tickets. I mean, it's all economic. So even if you take out the artistic aspect completely, there is a bias inherently present in this industry. So now, the reason that I talk to, I always talk to young singers about this and I'm very realistic about it because my story was that when I was a young artist, I was very overweight. I weighed 210 and I'm five foot five. And I was told basically within the first week, you're a great singer, but you have to lose weight or you won't have any opportunities. It was just plain, just, just like that. And I said, yeah, but it, my singing should be the most important thing. And they said, yeah, yeah, it is. But there are too many other girls like you. Too many other girls who sing the same repertoire as you. Now, if I had been a person who sings repertoire that only three other people in the world sing, it doesn't matter what I look like as much as if I'm a person who sings repertoire that 300 other people in the same country sing. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's why it's it's the game. It, it, these are the rules of the game. They exist. They're pre-existing conditions. And, they just, and so either if you want to play, so I had the choice of when I was in my 20s, early 20s, to either make certain sacrifices so that I could play, so that I could sit at the table and actually play the game or opt out and not play at all. Now, I lost weight. I took it seriously because I took it as a, I mean, not only was it a, quote, recommendation, quote, from my employers, the Young Artist Program, the Met, but it was also a recommendation from my doctor. It was a recommendation from people who had loving concern for me, that I wasn't healthy, that I wasn't, you know, eating the best, that I could, I could be doing better. And I realized, you know what, my voice is my instrument. I need to get healthy so that I don't have uh, health issues so that I can sing because I'm singing. It's like being an athlete. You know, you have to be in a certain at a certain level of health. So that doesn't necessarily mean get to be a size zero. It just means get yourself healthy. So I took that very seriously, that advice, and I started to lose weight. And after I lost weight, it took me years. I didn't do it overnight. It took forever. Honestly, it was very difficult for me. It still is a challenge to this day. Um, because I'm not an inherently skinny person. I am a, not an athletic by nature person. I've had to create an athletic uh, routine for myself that I stick to. Um, but because of all that, 
I had way more opportunities, tons more. As long as I was still singing well, which I really worked hard to keep my singing at a very high level as much as I could, as long as I was singing well and I looked the way that I looked, I had much more opportunities given to me than before. It's simply my experience. Now, people don't like it. There are a lot of people who think it's unfair. Of course it's unfair. It's not about being fair or not being fair. It's, it is a business. It is an art form. It is, you know, it, it has a theatrical aspect. The public is not fair. I have heard, I have met so many people in the public later after a performance or after a concert who have said the ugliest things to me about looks or about, uh, or I've read reviews that have criticized people, singers' looks horribly. And that's not fair. It's, it's horrible. I wish it wasn't the case, but you know, these are human beings. And, um, you know, and you have to kind of build also as an artist, you have to build a really thick skin to take that kind of criticism, that kind of personal criticism. So, you know, while being healthy and nice looking and young and beautiful is always great and everybody wants to be healthy and beautiful and young forever, you know, and, and sing well at the same time, we also have to be aware that there's, that is one of the kind of ugly sides that comes with a life in this industry. And so there you go. That's why I said that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you explained that. Uh, that that's really horrible and, and sad to hear. Unfortunately, not unexpected being a public facing career and the people are so harsh. I mean, it's just incredible. You would think, oh my God, this woman, this man, whoever, the, the performer has an incredible voice. It doesn't matter how they yeah. look, but God, as you just said, that is not no, the case. Not. I mean, if you think about, I mean, look, not every, not every audience member is like that. It's just, you know, you can always pick out individuals who are not, don't believe don't feel sure. that way but you know when you watch a television show and and you you watch you know even you you know you turn on the tv i mean that it's 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 there too it's everywhere i mean the the message of you know the people the only people that should be on camera are people that are nice to look at because we have to sit and look at them for so long i mean even if someone is a great actress or a great actor which there are many i mean there i'm not saying every single hollywood actor is beautiful no way but look at the roles that they play Look at who, look at how often you see them doing a love scene. Look at how often you might see them, you know, who are they representing? Who are they playing? Are they playing a soldier? Are they playing a model? Are they playing a mom of three kids? Are they playing, you know, a love interest? That, it also, it all depends on the roles that they play. And the same thing happens with opera. If you're playing, ideally, if you're playing a young, um, beautiful love interest, you have to look like a young, beautiful love interest, if possible. If not, no big deal. I mean, they, they if they can't find anyone to match what kind of looks like that, they're going to go with the person who can who can sing it best and, and not worry and just make it work. But generally, directors, if they have a choice, they're going to go for somebody that not only sings well, but can match their vision and, and can can pull off, you know, uh, that that character to the audience because it is still it is also theater. Right. So. You have to opt in, as you said. You have to opt into this game. You have to understand what the what the industry is like and and have a thick mm -hmm. skin. Yeah, actors have it worse. Honestly, have you ever seen actor casting call like write ups where they call for actors? They always say type. It's all type. So it'll say like 
need um, tough-looking, cartel-looking, tattooed, overweight, thug-looking person to play this role. Only send us wow. a photo. I swear. I'm not even joking. I'm not even making that up. Like, I, There's a whole like Facebook group about this. There are several. But um, I remember reading... <laughs> Because I was like, whoa, like, you know, it'll say like need, you know, slender, blonde, five foot two, looks like needs to look like a pixie, send photo. Looking for, you know, actors have it worse. They don't even get a chance to send their resume before they have to send their picture. First, they have to send their picture. Then you can send, okay, what have you done? (laughs) What acting classes have you taken? You know what I'm saying? Because that's, that's, there's so much choice out there. The director says, this is what I want to see. And then we'll work on the acting bit later. But visually, it has to be. The, the visual aspect has to be met. It's actually worse, I think, for, for actors than it is for singers. Singers luckily have uh, a slightly more, um, we have a little bit more of a protection because we have to sing at a, a certain way, <laughs> a certain level, and there aren't that many of us. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I never even thought about that, but obviously it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine if it was like that in business? I mean, is it like that in business? Would anyone say, okay, looking for employee must be white with black hair and have glasses and be, you know, I mean, do you ever see anything like that? So when I look at like job applications, um, they, they all say at the bottom, like we don't discriminate uh, based on your race, that we, we are not biased in any way, shape mm-hmm. or form. You know, as we mentioned, that they are inherently biased. They have to meet numbers for specific um, for specific demographics. Uh, and I'm not saying that companies do this, but they they must to a certain extent because that's just how the world works yeah. nowadays. Yeah, demographics, but demographics inherently have bias written into them, don't they? You know, socioeconomic and right. you know, religious and and all all of the above, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like if a company puts out a, um, a classified and says, okay, we want energetic people who are highly motivated to apply for this sales position. What are they already saying by saying that energetic, highly motivated people? I'm like, Oh, hmm, who would that be? Young people, yeah. you know, uh, outgoing people, fun people. What if you're quiet and you're not energetic? What if you're like, you know, don't do a lot of talking or whatever? No, you're not appropriate for this job. So it's a, there's a bias written into even business, even even job applications, you know. Right. And and it's it's very subtle language, but it's there, you know. No, that's a good point. That's true. I guess every industry has their own biases. Uh, based on what the end product is supposed to look like. And I don't mean physically look like it. I mean, the, the result. Bingo. Of it. I mean, look at the tech industry, yeah. how many, there's a lot of, of gender bias with that because it's so hard for women to get into tech and into development uh, and into IT, even though they might be brilliant developers. I've read stories about women feeling like, you know, it's kind of a boys club. It's very hard to be taken seriously and it's hard to be given an opportunity at all. And that tech companies are looking for women who can program or who, who are comfortable, you know, in sitting in front of a computer all day and, and typing up code and wondering, you know, why are there so few women that want to do this? You know? Um, and it's because maybe women feel at some point when they're going through that process of, of becoming qualified to do that or, or to, to even look, you know, to build the, the resume that they need to do that. They go, you know what? I've been discouraged way too many times because when I'm the only girl in computer class, 
all the guys make me feel uncomfortable or the guys, you know, make remarks or the guys leave me out or they only include me because they want to flirt with me or, you know, I mean, <laughs> it exists. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, and that's a random industry tech, you know, but I, I've definitely read about this and I've definitely, uh, I don't think it's so much ex that quite ex exists in the arts as far as that there aren't, you know, that, um, that there aren't enough women to go around. There just aren't enough spots for women, if that makes sense. Like they're literally, aren't. Like, you're right. not gonna hire a man to sing a female part. You can't, it's, it's physiologically not, you know, so it's, it's the disparity is written into the music already before you get to it. So that makes it very, very challenging. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting thing that I, I never even fully realized that every industry has their own biases. Mm -hmm. You have to understand, as you mentioned, you have to know the game you're getting into, understand the rules, and we hopefully succeed and, and thrive. Yeah, exactly. There is no, I don't think there is an industry that doesn't have bias. I don't think there's anything that doesn't have bias. Like literally, I can't think of a single, except maybe AI, <laughs> you know, I mean, until we become all run by AI, I don't think, um, you know, I, I mean, it's something we can sit and talk about all day long and it's very kind of sociological, but, but it's, you know, it's everywhere. Yeah, no, for sure. Maybe in a, maybe in another yeah. conversation we'll talk about that. <laughs> I am at my job, right? I have a boss. I have a manager I have to report to. Uh, this is the same in the arts, right? And, and your, your boss to a certain extent is is a different person almost every piece. As I understand it, the, your boss would, your quote unquote boss would be the, the conductor the, of the performance. Mm -hmm. So that, that person changes most plays and, and most uh, art forms. And so I guess I am wondering how you deal with that and how do you manage uh, the collaboration with so many different individuals, even from performance to performance? Well, I think that the, the special thing about having a, a quote-unquote boss, as you said, is that the way opera and theatrical performance works, it's more like a team. So if you think of it more as like a, like an act, like a soccer team or a football team, you know, you have kind of a captain that kind of more or less might set up how everything's supposed to go. You have the coach saying, okay, we're going to do this play. We're going to organize this play. And everyone has, everybody knows their distinct role within that so that the play can be executed. So it's very, it's exactly the same in opera. There's no boss, you know, um, in the sense of that I'm not being like, I don't have to meet a quota of a certain number of things that I have to turn over at the end of the day. What I have to do is do what I'm qualified to do that my boss doesn't do. My boss, the conductor, isn't the singer. So if there's something he's asking me to do that I say, hey, conductor, sir, I, or, or ma'am, I can't do that or I don't feel comfortable doing that because I'm not able to execute that as a singer, then he'll will say, okay, let's try this instead. But we have to collaborate on that. So I don't, um, I often feel most, most of the time I feel very much um, like I carry a, a bit of weight. So I don't feel like I'm being, you know, forced to do A or B. I, I, it's much more collaborative. So it feels more like a team effort than a hierarchy, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it is. It must be an interesting situation because it's like, yeah, you, you're you're all working together to get to this end result. And there's, you said there isn't really a hierarchy, but is it to like a certain extent? Everyone's like, oh, the conductor has the last say. Is it like that? Or, yeah, or that not? is definitely right. true. I mean, there is there's a hierarchy for sure that 
yes, at the end of the day, the conductor could fire you. At the end of the day, the director yeah. could fire you, or or the the direct the general director of the opera house technically is your boss. The general director of the opera house can watch a rehearsal, come in and say to the director, "I don't like that staging or that lighting. I want you to change it." And the director has to do that, so he has to report to the general director as well. Uh, and I've seen situations where that's happened. You know, we don't we don't take orders. We we collaborate together to create a work of art, but at the same time, we you know, I have my interpretation of how I will sing something that once we start the performance, I can do, I'm free to do that. A good conductor will work with you in the moment. So like, you know, if you think about when you're singing a song, any song, you know, you, you, you can go slower, you can go faster, you can hold something a little bit longer if you want a high note or something, if you're feeling really great, or if you're not feeling so great, maybe you want to rush things along a bit. And a, a great conductor will sense that and kind of be with you because it should be flexible. It should be organic. It should be in the moment, as long as it doesn't disrupt the chain of every, what everybody else is supposed to be doing. You know, you can't suddenly stop and like stop singing. Like, you know, that can't happen. So it's kind of, there's a, there are boundaries, but there's also a lot of flexibility. So it feels quite rewarding actually, because you do feel like you, you have, some freedom and some control over what you're putting out there because your product is still you. I mean, the conductor can't do your job just in the same, you know, sense as on a football team or a soccer team, you know, the goalie has to be the goalie and the goalie can't suddenly change to, to a forward. I mean, he could, but it's not really, he's not the best forward. He's the best goalie and that's what he should do. So it's kind of, um, and you've been hired. That's the job you've been hired to do is to sing this particular, Part, you know, yeah. so if you have somebody telling you, well, you should sing it like this and you should sing it like that, and you can say, oh, well, why don't you do it then? <laughs> Give a little attitude. No, I don't do that. I try to be super nice. I try to sing whatever they ask of me. I really do give it everything a try. I really do. I feel like that's very important to be collaborative because you might try something that you've never tried before and it works and works better than what you were doing. You know, so it's it's cool. I appreciate that about my job. Yeah, that is a really cool aspect. You're creating something as a team and and you all have to work together and your certain strengths and weaknesses will shine through and you'll leverage those strengths to to create this work of art at the end of the day, which is that is really interesting. Yes, it is interesting. It's awesome, actually. <laughs> very cool. And so so you're quite transparent in your opinions. I mean, you're very active on social media. There's posts, uh, uh, YouTube videos, other share, video sharing platforms. And, and that's so cool to see from someone who, uh, at your level of success, it's kind of rare to a certain extent. Um, how has this helped or, or hurt you in your career? And I guess the, the follow-up is, do you suggest bringing your quote-unquote whole self to work? That's an, uh, a wonderful question about bringing your whole self to work. Um, and about being transparent. I, I've always been a very transparent person. What you see is what you get. I treat everyone the same from my boss, the general manager of the company to my colleague, to the janitor who mops the floor, to the security guard who lets me in the door. I treat everybody with kindness and I treat everyone like they're my friend, unless they choose, unless they show me a reason why they should not be my friend. Then I don't treat them so much as my friend, even though I try to keep doing that, but I really do try to be, um, equally um, open to everyone because I feel like people, if you want people to be comfortable around you and like, and want to be, you know, want to invite you back to work with you again, 
being open and transparent uh, and honest is is the key. I, I don't um, I don't like the term of fake it till you make it. I, I feel like there's there's a world in which that's necessary. I don't think this is that world. I don't think opera is the world in which faking it until you make it is the right formula. And the reason is because great theater, great music, and great acting comes from authenticity. It doesn't come from being the best faker. It comes from the opposite, being the most authentic. And to me, um, the way that I've been able to be better on stage is that I'm better in real life, if that makes sense. So like, in other words, being more open, being more transparent, being more honest. A, it's who I've always been. So I've never felt like a struggle with that. But like posting online and stuff. So like you mentioned social media, you know. I never wanted to have a fake social media page or a, uh, a social media page that was run by my PR. I always wanted to do it myself if we were going to do it because I felt like, you know, um, people, if people reach out to that social media, that Instagram account or that Facebook account, and they want to send me a message and they say, um, you know, Lissette, I really loved your performance. It really moved me. I really enjoyed watching you sing. You know, your voice is very special to me, blah, blah, whatever it is that they say, they're sending me a sincere message. Why in the hell would I send them back a message from my PR saying, thanks for following. See you at the next show. You know, I, I just feel like that's insincere. And I don't feel like that's what represents who I am. So me personally, like I said, I, I feel, I'm comfortable being open. I also, you know, with being honest, yeah, there are times that being honest has been hurtful to me. You absolutely nailed it. I, I've absolutely said things that I shouldn't say. I've, um, I've uh, stepped on toes. <laughs> I have um, made people maybe get offended with things that I've said or opinions that I've shared or experiences that I have been very open about and transparent about. Um, but sorry, <laughs> like I, I'd rather be loved for who I am or hated for who I am than loved for who I'm not. And I, I don't, I can't keep up with a fake persona that I'm trying to constantly put out there that isn't who I am, that isn't real. So if people don't like it, that's fine. I don't, like I said, it's not my job to please everybody. It's not any singer's or actor's job to please every member of the audience. It will never happen. Even if you fake rainbows and butterflies until you're pooping them out. I mean, you, it does not matter how perfect and sweet and wonderful you are. There are people who still aren't going to like your voice. So don't, why beat yourself up trying to be perfect and sweet and wonderful all the time if that's not uh, what's 100% natural to you, um, just so that you can please people. Um, I don't feel like that's the purpose. I feel like the purpose of opera and drama and music and theater and what we're doing with with our work is to to touch people in an emotional center it doesn't have to be the happiest emotional center it can be a difficult it can be a hard a hard um part of your heart you know if you're an audience member and you're watching a piece about death an opera where the main character dies you're not going to walk away from that being like oh that was so awesome i'm so excited i just love opera. i'm so motivating i mean you're going to come away going oh my god you know this opera made me think about pain it made me think about death it made me think about fear it made me think about you know loss and hatred and jealousy and all these ridiculously passionate emotions that opera is written about i mean opera is not about winning and losing it's not about you know um 
issues that are black and white. Opera is about relationships and, you know, struggle and flaws, human flaws, you know, and military flaw, politics. I mean, it's got every disgusting issue you can think of. And it takes those types of people to sing it. Um, so if, if, if my being myself is wrong, <laughs> I don't want to be right. Let's just put it that way. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's so great to see that as we earlier, as we mentioned earlier, you do have to play into this sort of game, but there's so much room to be yourself and to cultivate your personal brand even in a public facing type yes. role. I mean, I don't, for my social media, at least, because in general, I mean, I'm a, I'm a very um, cheerful person. I'm a, I'm a positive. I always try to look at the positive in general. I mean, I don't, I I'm aware that not everything has a positive outcome. Not everything's going to have a positive outcome. And like, we've talked about a lot of things, the, the hard sides of the business, but, but actually by nature, I'm a very optimistic person. I really am. And I, I feel like my social media because, you know, everybody wants to put the best of themselves on social media. I mean, that's natural, perfectly natural for us to do that. Um, I, I try to at least let people know that there is, there is opportunity out there. Like you can, you can make it, you can do it because I mean, I made a lot of sacrifices, um, to have opportunities at all. I, you know, I gave up a lot of things. I continue to give up a lot of things and make certain choices so that, uh, I can have a career in music because music is what I really, really love. It's what I want to do. And I'm, I'm putting all my eggs in that basket and it's Easter. Haha. I'm putting all my eggs in that basket so that I can have that life that I want, which is a life of artistic pursuit. And so when I share on social media, you know, um, a story or a photograph or an experience, I want people to see that beautiful life, that beautiful, um, experience that you can have if you make certain sacrifices or, you know, or if you, if you really want it, but things that are honest and true and real and authentic, I don't, make up stuff. Like it's not fake. If I run a race, I put a picture of myself with my little medal and I'm sweaty and I look like crap, but I ran a race and I'm proud of myself. And I want to share with people that you can do it. Even if you're a crappy athlete, like I am, you could still run a race if you train, you know? Um, and, and all of that has, all of the followers that I have are real. And I respond to everyone, you know, when they message me and it's, it takes a lot of time, but I think it's worth it because I feel like then people feel like they're really getting something. They're really, um, they're really reaching out to a human being and not to some persona of some diva that isn't real because that's not who I am, never has been. And I hope I never become that, honestly. I mean, some singers eventually maybe get to a point where, you know what, you have to just create a big wall. And I'm starting to understand where that comes from. I'm not quite there yet. Like I'm still open and vulnerable even online, <laughs> but I, I try to, uh, but I, I'm understanding more and more that, you know, some artists are much more um, sheltered, sheltered, you know, much more protected about themselves. And I respect that as well. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying my way is the best way. I'm just saying it's what, where I am currently. Right, right. I mean, everyone has their own way. Everyone goes about it their own way, but being authentic, the real you in all shapes and forms, both on and off stage that, I think that's really, really amazing. Yes. I want to also inspire other people to feel like they can do that as well. Like to feel like it's safe. I feel like there are so many, um, there's such a fear with social media. 
that it's not safe to be who you are, to be vulnerable or to be uh, anything other than perfect on social media because why? Oh my God, it's permanent. It's forever. It's like, well, it's not. Nobody's going to go and search through your whole life social media content and find out the days that you weren't in a good mood and the days that you were happy and the days that you were mad and the days like nobody's going to do that. I feel like, you know, but at the same time, is that necessary? No, of course not. Like it's not necessary. There are days I don't like have anything to post. I'm like, what am I going to post about today? A picture of me eating breakfast? Like, no, I'm not going to post that. You know, I mean, I could, I guess, but I'm not, that's not, I I would rather there be something of, of, of value or something of content that someone can take away from it or an inspiration or, or something special. Yeah, no. So it's like um, authentic inspiration. Ideally. Ideally, yes. You provided so much in, in really incredible stuff here. I think a really good question to end on would be, what would be your one or, or two, if, if there's more than one, biggest piece of advice to, to be for anyone that's pursuing a professional career in in the performing arts and, and maybe even more specifically just in opera. The most successful careers are people with a combination of gift and grit. And you really need both. If you know deep down in your heart that you have the gift, you have a special gift that, you know, that people are always wanting to hear you sing or always asking you to perform. People get excited when you sing, you know that because they tell you because you move them. If, if you have that gift, then nurture your grit because your grit is what's going to take that gift and really magnify it. Um, and if you have that burning desire more than anything else to make music, you know, then work on your gift, work on making your craft and your gift as special as possible so that you can take that grit and employ it with something so that you can bring something special to the stage, whether that is an amazing voice, amazing acting ability, you can work on those things. You can, you can improve your interpretative skills in your musical skills. Um, you can make those things better. So in other words, ambition alone or gift alone won't necessarily take you to the top, but the combination of both will. So figure out which one you need to work on and then work on it. And then go for it. Don't give up. Wow. I love that. That's such a great place to end. I love that. That's great. Inspirational, motivating. I want to go for a run now. Oh, awesome. Yay. That's just grit. No gifts here. I tell you that. Oh, man. Do you run, Ben? I do. I actually used to run cross country in high school. Um, and then I played tennis in college, but I love running for fun. Oh, awesome. You're special. Most people hate running for fun. You have to like learn to run for fun. That's true. All right. I get those psychopaths. <laughs> it's a great breed. It's a great That's for sure. <laughs> well, Lisa, I, I really appreciate the time taken. This was this was awesome. I really enjoy this conversation. So wide ranging, so outside of anything I really expected, great. which is really cool. Great. I'm glad. Thank you for giving me the chance to talk so openly so many great things and I appreciate it for sure for sure and if, if anyone wanted to reach out to you contact you I mean I know social media is probably the best place uh maybe is there anything else or, or is that the best spot that's the best uh, place to reach out you know I have a website lasetaorcasa.com we create uh, personalized newsletters once every three months so four newsletters a year where I talk about each season 
uh, with a little video. And then my husband puts uh, like vlog content, of footage of things that we've done, things, places we've been, backstage kind of stuff. Um, but that's, I absolutely communicate with everybody via social media and I'm, I'm happy to have anyone there that wants to be. I welcome everyone. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to another episode and make sure to share this with your friends. If you haven't done it yet, give us a follow on Spotify and Instagram at aspire underscore inquire to take on the journey with us. That being said, stay tuned to next Thursday because you will not be disappointed. Peace.